0: Yo, I'm Shea Serrano. And I'm Brandon Jinx Jenkins. We have a new show called No Skips with Jinx and Shea. In it, we discuss the most unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New
1: episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability and eligibility may vary.
0: This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults with zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability, no system. No matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely.
2: Hello and welcome to the Ringer NFL show. I am your host, Benjamin Solak, capping off the week. Our first real full week of Ringer NFL shows now that the season is fully underway, as always, with our Friday show. It'll cap our week with the preview for the upcoming weekend's game. I am joined, of course, by Stephen Ruiz and Kaelin Jones, my two good buddies, to walk us through O and Tombstone Week, the week in which, like, we just take 40% of the league and decide they're never going to make the playoffs again. Stephen, how are we doing, man? I'm ready to uh, put a lot of teams on must-win watch this week. Kaelin, are you familiar with the O and Tombstone? Is this a, is this a, a, I know Steven and I like to joke about it. Do you know what I'm talking about?
3: No, this is a complete indoctrination for me. All unless right. you're talking about the idea that a team goes O and 2 and, their season's completely yes, over. Yes, that is that's correct.
2: That, that's the Owen tombstone. So when we were like, when it was 16 game seasons, uh, on average, uh, in terms of the NFL team's record, after two weeks, and then their ability to then make the playoffs at the end of the season, around 10% of teams who start the season 0-2 would then go on to make the playoffs in that season. So the 17 game season like might conflate it a little bit, but in general, we can take teams like the Ravens and argue that if they lose to the Chiefs, which losing to the Chiefs is a thing a lot of teams do, uh, that they're just, they're just not going to make the playoffs. We could just, at this point in the middle of September, be like, yeah, Ravens, last year's AFC North champion, made it to the divisional round. Nope, they're gone. They're out. And we can say that with like 90% certainty.
1: How dare you? The Steelers won last year's AFC North champion. Did they? <laughs> yes. It didn't feel like it, but they won it.
2: Man, I completely didn't remember that. So wait, the, the Ravens, so three teams in the AFC North made it to the playoffs last year?
1: Yeah, the Ravens were a wildcard team. They played in Tennessee in that first playoff game.
2: Holy smokes, man. The 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 posthumous editing I've done of that Steelers 2020 season. Right. If you asked me the record, I've been like five and twelve. Five and they eleven actually.
1: <laughs> actually <laughs> right. That was the they actually game drafted in the fir- in the top ten. <laughs>
2: Regardless, uh, we will be talking Ravens against Chiefs. That's one of our games of the week, which is always the segment that we start with. Talking through the three biggest games, two, four biggest games that we see in the week. Really trying to break it down nuts and bolts, both sides of the ball and try to figure out what the important matchups are to watch. Uh, And then we'll go to some of the not as big games of the week, but we'll Bring up some key matchups there as well. We'll kind of gamify it a little bit, talk about it in a variety of different segments. And then finally, we'll go to the uh, the uh sleepers of the week, the doldrums of the week to NFL schedule. And I will do my best to give Stephen and Kalen a reason to watch the game. So we start with game of the week. Uh We did bring up Ravens against the Chiefs. Ravens had that Monday night loss to the Raiders, which... I think revealed a a bevy of concerns for the team as it's constructed, especially with the injuries they're dealing with. And now they face the absolute wood chipper that is Kansas city. Kalen, you talked with us about the chiefs last week. This one's you again, chiefs at Ravens. What are we looking for? This is like, I feel a perennial September game that we all get hyped for now. So what matters in this one?
3: (laughs) Well, one, I'm glad to be the Patrick Mahomes guy, the dedicated Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs guy. That's great. Um, I mean, you you mentioned it last season. This matchup was so enticing. And I think it was because the hype for Lamar coming off his unanim- or uh, MVP season. Um, and then, you know, Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes. And so, you know, going back and looking at that matchup from last season, the first thing that jumps out on the screen for me is the fluidity of the Ravens rushing attack. And I think the biggest thing, and you mentioned it, The Ravens, one, are dealing with tons of injuries. Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle, being one of those guys who's going to be out for this game. And then, two, just the fact that they have so many different faces. That offensive line is completely rehauled. Um, I think when, and the reason why I'm bringing that up from last year is because when you look at how they looked uh, against the Raiders this last week, it didn't look as fluid as, you know, it used to be. Like, definitely Mm -hmm. having Villanueva back there um Ronnie Saley being a little bit gimpy with his ankle. I think that he was definitely injured in that matchup. So I I think and the fact that he's not going to be there, it's and, and then you factor in the fact that, you know, Ravens are going to be without Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins. They have literally a rotating door of old wash veteran running backs who are going to be coming in. And there's Tyson Williams, who's pretty good. But it it just doesn't look clean I don't know how else to say that I'm sure you guys can get into the nuts and bolts of it but just from a viewer's standpoint um, I'm very concerned for the Ravens offensive line going up against the Chiefs who when you're watching Kansas City last week against Cleveland especially in that fourth quarter they have a switch that that front four is just able to kind of turn on because between Chris Jones Frank Clark Uh, I think they they rotate like Kalen Saunders, Alex Okafor, uh, Derek Nandi, like those guys are able to turn it on because they completely dismantled Cleveland's front line throughout the final 15 minutes of the game. Like they were not able to get any yardage and kind of win the line of scrimmage in the run game or in the past game. So I think that is going to ultimately determine, you know, who's going to win this matchup, which is crazy to say, because obviously, you know, we can say Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. And I think him going up against a depleted Ravens secondary, didn't even touch on that, how they're without Marcus Peters for the season. So I don't know how they're going to play man defense of having some of the limited uh, players that they do have within that secondary. And then being without Matthew Judon going into this matchup, they don't really have a guy who can get after him. So I'm very curious, um, to see how this all plays out. But there's definitely a lot of deficiency on the Raven side that makes this kind of... It might end up being an easier matchup for the Chiefs. They won't have to give their best punch, I think, like they did last week against Cleveland.
2: Yeah, I think the 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 strength of that Chiefs' front four late down the stretch is a really interesting thing to me, right? Because I don't think that's a very good front overall, but it always seems like whenever... Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator there, needs to win a third down late. And this even goes back to like last year and years previous. He always has something. Spags is a really, really good situational coach, in my opinion, in terms of having three or four one-off pitches for that game, for that opponent that are he's going to be able to use in crunch time, in critical times to get a stop on defense. Because it felt like they were never going to stop that Browns offense right early in that game. And then when they were able to go in second half, Settle down, talk about things, and come out and, and and play those best cards in the fourth quarter. That was a big, right? Tide switcher for them at just getting the lead there late, giving the offense another possession. Steven, Ravens' offensive line, right? Villanueva looked really rough on the right side. As Kalen said, Ronnie Stanley clearly not 100%. Now he's not playing on the left side. So they've got to reshuffle that offensive line what are you doing with the injuries to the running back, with the injuries at wide receiver to Rashad Bateman and the injuries on the offensive line? What are you trying to lean on in this Ravens offense to get positive points on the board against the Chiefs with all of these ancillary pieces around Lamar falling away? What's the one thing that they got to lean back on? <laughs> it's,
1: it's tough to say because your instinct would be the run game and keeping Mahomes off the field because mm-hmm. he's just ran through that defense in years past but the offensive line isn't good enough to sustain a run game like that, especially if spags. And I think this is going to be the game plan aims to take the ball out of Lamar's hands on the read option stuff. He's going to be able to force that because the defense does dictate who keeps the ball on those plays. And if that's the case and they're relying on their non Lamar run game, I just don't know how you sustain that and keep up with the chiefs. Cause I do expect the chiefs to have a big game against this defense not even just based on what we saw last week, which was concerning against the Raiders when they couldn't cover Darren Waller, even though that was the one guy you knew you had to cover. Against the Chiefs, you have Kelsey and you also have to worry about Hill.
2: Mm-hmm. I Marlon Humphrey's I, only one dude, brother. Can't right, play Marlon he, Humphrey. You really can. not
1: <laughs> And he, he even he was having some problems against some of those Raiders receivers. So I think you just have to turn the ball over to Lamar and say, Hey, I know this isn't how we've won games in the past, but you have to lead us through this through the air and as a scrambler. It's the only way it works. And even then, I don't think the Ravens stand much of a chance.
2: Yeah. So the three last games that these teams have played, they played in December of 2018, which was Lamar's rookie season, but he already had the starting job at that point, uh, lost in overtime 27 to 24. And then they played in September of 2019, they lost 33 to 28. And then in September of 2020, and they lost 34 to 20. So they've given up 24, 33, and 34 points to the Chiefs in the last three years in terms of in-regulation play. That's all with Wink Martindale as the D.C. Uh, And this time he walks in, so it's the fourth time, so he regularly has given up 25-plus points to the Kansas City Chiefs, and he walks in without Jimmy Smith, without uh, Marcus Peters, right? We saw how weak that secondary was, and you kind of wondered if against the Raiders he would be like, okay. I don't have the guys I usually do. Maybe it's time to play man coverage with like some help, like a safety or two. Or maybe it's time to play a zone, which I know is like heresy for Wink Martindale. But like, maybe we like try to do some different things. No, you know what I mean? Like every big play from the Raiders had a free blitzer coming, barreling down at Derek Carr. But Carr's able to get rid of the ball because they're playing straight man coverage, cover zero on the back end, which is how the Ravens like to do it. Uh, I'm curious... I, I'm looking at at a Chiefs team that regularly beats them, a Chiefs team that's that's primary in the AFC, and I'm thinking to myself, Martindale's got to have some sort of a new plan, a new approach to slow down the offense, just give them something new to look at, something that they haven't done previously. But he didn't do that against the Raiders, even with the injuries there. So I'm worried they're going to walk out and, and what, try to man up Tyreek Hill with Anthony Averett. Like, it, you you cannot... I don't think you beat the Chiefs anyway, but you can't make it that easy for them by just playing man coverage against Patrick Mahomes when you don't even have the guys you usually do to play man coverage against Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yeah, my only thing is, like, what do you do instead? If, you, if the answer right. is sit back and zone like the Bucs did in the Super Bowl, well, the Bucs had a defensive line that just dominated that matchup, and the Ravens don't have that. Like, their pass rush is based on manipulating pass protections with heavy blitz looks, and sending blitzes after the quarterback and if you can't do that against Mahomes and you have to play coverage that's just not something the Ravens are suited to do. It's something that they've never done really in the past. But now at this point they don't even have the personnel to do it even if they wanted to. So for me it's like Martell has to pull something out of his ass, something that we've never seen before from him to keep the Ravens in this game or it's going to be more of the same Except I don't know if the offense, the Ravens offense, which hasn't done well in these matchups before. I don't even know if it's suited to do what it's done in the past and keep up.
2: Yeah, I think let's do this. I'll I'll give you the spoiler alert, Kalen. Ravens win the game. All right. I'm telling you right now, that's the result. So my question for you, then, is knowing that that's the result, what happened? Was it lucky explosive runs? They got Tyson Williams free because. Tyson Williams can freaking scoop, man. That guy looks fast when he gets to the third level. They get Lamar on a couple explosive runs. Is it that whole right side of that line, center to right guard to right tackle, is new for the Chiefs? Rookie Creed Humphrey starter at center, rookie uh, starter Trey Smith at right guard, and then quasi-rookie starter at right tackle in Lucas Nyang. Uh, yeah. Is it the, the the pressure packages, those creepers, those, those disguised blitzes that Steven was talking about, those create turnovers on Patrick Mahomes? If I'm telling you the Ravens win the game, I want you to tell me how.
3: Uh, Patrick Mahomes decided he was disappearing and going back to whatever <laughs> alien planet he's from. Yeah, anyway. um, that seriously might be the only way. I mean, him or even taking Tyreek Hill out of the game somehow, or, you know, I, I don't, I, ju- I just don't see a pathway to the Ravens winning this matchup from a schematic standpoint. Like Steven said, they don't have the personnel to execute whatever they want to do, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I just don't see a pathway. Maybe we get the Odafe Owe game where he just decides he's going to be an all pro. And you know he merges and and tears everything up, but that's
2: like, that's a Stephen, Chandler Jones style play. sleeper right there. Is it off AOA? <laughs> He's already
1: got one sack. He gets a ten. He's winning. <laughs> We're on pace,
2: baby. It. Seventeen sacks, rookie season. Right.
1: I don't think Oway has that game without the help, no. without like the blitz stuff. He's mm-hmm. not going to do it on his own. He's not a guy you right. could just put out there and say go win a matchup. And I think they need that. I think it really is the simulated. Pressures the creeper pressures the look like you're bringing seven drop seven into coverage and only bring four and somehow still get a free rusher that's the only way this works I just don't know if they have it in them
2: Yeah I I I appreciate Kalen's answer which is that the Ravens win only if Patrick Holmes doesn't show up to the game I think this looks like a marquee game and and the NFL put it on the schedule early because it's been a marquee game in past years but just with the Ravens health situation like they were already going to be underdogs coming in they've shown that they struggle to beat the chiefs uh with the health situation yeah i don't see the avenue but man i really do hope that martindale's got something whether it's in this game or if he says all right we're gonna table it until maybe we get the chiefs in the playoffs he better have something some response to how to deal with this 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 it, kansas city matchup he's it, let's it.
1: say let's say they do win do you think it's a high scoring game or a low scoring
2: game i think it's a high scoring game I so think you think yeah.
1: their best bet is outscoring the Chiefs. So that's basically Lamar just right.
2: I So I mean, I out. don't know the you know. the linebacker room in Kansas City against the Browns was just just unbelievable to watch. Like it's it every year Spags gets me and I'm like, I oh, look at this depth chart. The Chiefs defense can't be that good. And watch those linebackers play. Like they're just not a very good unit. But then you're able to get away with it. You're able to get enough critical third down sacks, enough critical third down pressures, get a, a timely pass breakup here and there, force a field goal instead of a, a touchdown. And all of a sudden you're still in every single game because the guys on the other side. I think that if the Ravens can get through the first level in the running game, right? Bad offensive line, but if they can get through the first level with read option, with with deceptive designs, Lamar and Tyson Williams should be really, really good busting through the second level, getting into the third level. I think they can rip off a lot of explosive runs. And then I think if they blitz a ton, get a strip sack, get a pick, you score some points off a turnover. Now you're able to keep pace. But it's explosives is what it has to be. It's got to be positive regression there.
1: It's got to be explosives in the run game, probably. I don't yeah. think they can rely on passing explosives. Although Sammy Watkins had a few big plays in the game. But I want to see counter bash at least 20 times. Maybe yeah. 30.
2: Play Just the run it back. every
1: play. Make the whole play an out-of-counter bash.
2: Yeah. All right. Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the NFL, playing the Ravens. The second-best quarterback in the NFL, according to my friend Stephen Ruiz, plays the, the Cowboys best. this week. Uh, <laughs> Stephen, Justin Herbert takes Chargers versus Cowboys. Why is this a game of the week for you?
1: Because uh, you said Justin Herbert's the second-best quarterback he might be the best quarterback in the
2: league. Steve, you got, we got to say responsible things, man. This gets <laughs> okay, published. Yeah,
1: I'm not, I'm not going that far. But no, his tape from week one, I thought it was good just watching the broadcast on Sunday. But when you watch on, on the All-22, like, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's near-perfect tape. And it might be the best single-game tape I've ever seen from a quarterback Yeah, I'm willing to say that it is like it's not like he's doing it in a similar way that Mahomes does it where he's doing like alien type things like he's he's doing things you don't want to teach other quarterbacks like Herbert did it within the confines of the system and on time. He didn't have to scramble. He only was credited with one big time throw by PFF, but like you watch that film and every throw seems like a big time throw that other quarterbacks can't make. I don't know how he only ended up with one, but it might just be. He made it look so easy. And that's why I'm willing to say he's already a top five quarterback. I'm, he's, he's elite. I'm calling it right now. After
3: one, one game, game sample size season, for
2: Stephen Rui, that's all I need.
1: That's, that's fair. I think
3: you have a good eye for it, man.
2: I think the best move is just the whatever quarterback is about to play the Cowboys defense, you just say, like, listen, he's playing out of his mind right now. You guys should watch him <laughs> next week. He's going to be great. It doesn't matter who it is. Like, if he's about Can't to lose, face the Cowboys, baby. he's playing well. But the
1: thing the thing is, like, the Cowboys' defense wasn't great against the Bucs. But Brady had to make some ridiculous throws against mm-hmm. them. Like, I'm thinking about the Micah Parsons play where he's covering Gronk on the crosser. And Parsons is in, like, perfect coverage. And Brady just puts it where it needs to be. And then there's, like, the Antonio Brown throw where he scored the touchdown. There's, there was a bunch of throws. But the thing is, Herbert can make those throws. And Dallas got no interior push against the Bucs. And I feel like that's the way you can disrupt Herbert, especially if he's having to make these strong throws downfield. Like, it's harder to make those when you have defensive interior rushers in your lap, and mm-hmm. the Cowboys just aren't capable of doing that. They, they didn't have one interior rusher finish in the top 50 among interior rushers and pass rushers. According mulch. to PFF, not in the top 50, not one. That's so really bad.
3: And going up I think, against Corey
1: Lindsley this week. Right. Herbert's going to have plenty of time to pick apart that secondary, which is not a good secondary.
2: Caitlin, let me ask you this, because I know you've been in the building with the Chargers, and we were chatting a little bit about that right side of the line. They brought in a, a free agent in Ode Abushi to play the right guard spot, uh, and then they have Brian Bulaga, who's a vet, really good right tackle, but a little bit long in the tooth, coming off of injury. I feel like left side of the line was solid against Washington. Right side of the line was a problem. The most important thing is that the Chargers have improved their offensive line and they can stay healthy. One weekend, how are you feeling about that effort? Because that's where they put most of their resources this season. How are we feeling?
3: Um, I mean, we're feeling okay. I don't know if we're necessarily confident. Like you said, they've improved that side of the line. And I think that's really big in terms of you know protecting Herbert. I think last year, what really amazed me about him was his pre- like his ability under pressure. Because in college, he was one of the worst, specifically his senior year. He was so bad when he was under pressure, but last year, he he was immaculate last year. Um, and I think when you look at the play of Bulaga, again, the dude's gimpy. I don't think that you know he was at full strength. Uh, he's been in and out of practice this week. Having Storm Norton as your backup right tackle, I mean, he's a decent rotational backup guy. He's not someone that you want in your starting lineup, but...
2: His name is um, Storm Norton. You feel good yeah. when Storm's on the right <laughs> side, brother.
3: I mean, it, it, he's he's fine. You know, he's an NFL player. So, I mean, he's capable. It's just, um, again, like going up against this Cowboys front, I think they're fortunate that they don't have to face Demarcus Lawrence. And it was really funny because Terrell Basham, uh, the Cowboys' backup defensive line or edge uh, player, he mentioned that he was excited to face Brian Bulaga because he remembers getting in the backfield so many times when he faced them last season. And a bunch of Chargers fans unearthed it. Um, he apparently only had one quarterback hit, according to Pro Football Reference, and zero according to PFF. So Terrell Basham is thinking of the wrong guy. And if Brian Bulaga suits up, I don't think that we're going to see him get in the backfield next game. So if I'm Justin Herbert, I'm feeling pretty comfortable back there.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is the week we like find out if the Chargers' O line is a problem or not. Agreed. But going up against that pass rush without Lawrence, and I don't is Gregory playing? I don't think he's playing either. Yeah, he's guilty th-
2: too. Yeah, he was he was on the field for week one, but I don't know where he's at right health yeah. wise for week two. Shout out Terrell Basham for just assuming Brian Bulaga knows who he is. I'm not sold that he, <laughs> no, <laughs> he no way. He does. I respect <laughs> the gumption. Uh, all right, let's flip the side of the ball because Brandon Staley defense uh, defense de jour all the rage in the summer. Everybody's talked about it. We got our first look at it against Washington. But last year, when we got our first look at it like ever, it was against the Cowboys. And that Cowboys offense with Dak was an absolute flamethrower for the whole season, except for kind of the Rams game where they opened up against a Staley defense they hadn't seen yet. So uh, what translated, Stephen, from the Rams 2020 to the Chargers 2021 in terms of how Staley's playing defense and what's going to be the plan against Dak? Because Herbert scored in 30 is nice. But if there's anything we know about this Cowboys offense, it can do the same.
1: Yeah, I have here in my notes that Staley was back on his bullshit in week one. It was the same. (laughs) It didn't look exactly the same as what we saw with the Rams, like coverage-wise and front-wise, but like from the 10,000-foot view... It was the same, like a bunch of fronts. They played seven different fronts at least three times, according to Sports Info Solutions. They played four three three four four two five two four five three three five four one six three
2: two six. 425, Steven just dropping a social security number. On the- <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, That's my credit guess. card number.
1: Light box, 76% of the snaps, fifth most in the league last week. Two high shells, 76% of the time, third highest rate. So he was doing what he did last year, and they, they were able to defend the run even with those light boxes. That was the big worry: would he be able to do without Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers? And he was with a a worse front seven. I think the I think the uh, Washington football team still averaged minus .2 EPA per run, so they were still able to do it while allocating all their resources to stopping the pass, which they did. And I think it's going to be a little harder against this passing game compared to a passing game comprised of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Heineke. But in last year's debut against the Cowboys, that's when Staley kind of burst onto the scene. He was able to do that. They limited big plays by playing those two high shells 80% of the time. And Dak had an average step of throw of 6.6 compared to 8.3 for the rest of the season. So they were able to take away those deep crossers with the poaching safeties, force Dak to check it down. And if they can do that and Herbert does what we think he's going to do against this defense, I really think the Chargers are going to win this game and maybe win this game easily. How
3: much of a like, I guess, like how much of a weapon is Derwin James within his system? Because I asked oh him like, like uh, when I went to practice on Wednesday, like I asked him about it, and like he mentioned how it forces quarterbacks to identify wherever he's at, and I think you know I, I tried to listen to y'all on the the PFF. Uh, too high podcast i think one oh, of you guys mentioned you it, like how to listen to
2: us on that <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's my guys though and i love uh stuff stuff but i mean like with, with derwin like the fact that they're able to put him in so many different positions like from your guys perspective how does that kind of stress out you know opposing offenses in terms of being able to id him and then being able to function into the play without you know having joey bosa come in and crash your play I,
1: I think it's like what they did with Jalen Ramsey last year, just on steroids. Like his tape last week was amazing. And not even for a guy that's coming off of a bunch of injuries and we're hoping he could stay healthy. And this is his first game back. Like he was amazing for a guy that you've watched make the all pro team like three years in a row. He was all over the field. They put him in the slot, they put him deep. He rushed the passer sometimes. Everything that I thought he would be. And he played that role to a T. Deontay on that podcast said it's like having John Johnson if he was an all-pro talent, and that's what it is. He made so many plays in so many facets of the game. Like I feel confident about my Defensive Player of the Year take on him. Like I picked him to win it. I know he's not going to win it because he is a safety, and he does so much of his work off the screen on the broadcast angle. But, man, he was the best player I saw in the league last, last week
2: yeah uh well okay i was gonna yeah to agree and then you said he's the best player you saw in the league last week i don't yeah to agree that but who's who's are, better <laughs> maybe justin herbert <laughs> the only two options um yeah i think that the the move around ability of derwin right and and we always talk about like versatility i can fill a bunch of different roles mm-hmm. but in terms of, of how that defense allows him to move and you can line him up as like an outside corner as an inside corner a slot a nickel player you can line him up as a deep safety you can line him up as a box safety whatever uh what that gives you is like the offense would generally like to avoid Derwin James. Uh, You'd like to do it in the running game because he's a really, really good run defender. And you'd certainly like to do it in the passing game because he's unbelievable vision and he's got corner like coverage ability. Uh, When the player you're trying to avoid is like Richard Sherman, the left corner for the Seattle Seahawks. You just don't throw it over there because you know where he's going to be with Derwin. You don't. And what that allows like Staley to do is let's say you're walking in against the Cowboys. And when they go like, you know, three receivers to one side, tight end to the other side. The tight end's close to the formation. We'd call that like a a three-by-one, like a nub formation. They like to do X, Y, and Z. Well, you can have in your play calls, check the formations. We're like, all right, if we get three-by-one nub, Derwin, go here. Like, line up over the tight end, because we know they're going to try to run it over there. So you can say, like, with tendency, I, I generally know where I want to put Derwin against these personnel groupings or this formation on this down and distance which then makes it so much harder for teams to avoid that guy, right? Because he's just got so much movement ability. He can line up anywhere and be a legitimate threat to do anything at any time. So it allows you to just custom-rig game plans to put Derwin in the most annoying spots possible. And that's where he's going to start racking up crazy numbers. I think that's why he
1: played in the slot a lot in week one, because Washington runs a lot of condensed formations. And Staley said last year when he put Jalen Ramsey in the slot, and he only did it a couple of games. It was against like the Shanahan guys. It was against Washington. He did it so he can get him closer to the action, one. And two, he could, he could play closer to the line of scrimmage because you can't do that when you're lined up outside. Obviously, with Ramsey, you can't do it when you're at corner. When you're mm-hmm. lined up at safety, you're not going to be close to the line of scrimmage. So I think that's going to be Staley's plan with him. Is just, like you said, put him in the most annoying spots possible. And the thing right. about Derwin compared to other quote-unquote hybrid players is he's actually good at all the things you ask him to do. Whereas, like, a Jamal Adams... Is it his best against the run or blitzing? Uh, I'm trying to think of another guy, like Dion Buchanan back in the right. day with the Cardinals, the original hybrid guy. He was yeah. just a bad safety, and they put him at linebacker because right. they had nowhere like, else to put him.
2: I feel like Teron Matthews is another great example. Like, like Teron Matthews is nuts versatile. He's nuts uh, yeah. explosive. Or he's got unbelievable field vision. But Teron's like, what, 5'10", 5'11"? Right? He, like, there yeah, is maybe. a limit, right? Like There, <laughs> there is that if you get a tall guy on him, you're feeling pretty good. Derwin's built like an outside corner.
1: Right. There was one play where he had like a block or stone cold on him and Derwin just threw him off. It was like an offensive yeah. lineman. He just threw him off and made the tackle. And like Derwin's the kind of safety hybrid who's a cornerback first, in my opinion, like he could play. He has yeah. cornerback skills, right? Unlike a guy like uh, Isaiah Simmons, for, for example, coming out like he was an athletic guy, but his coverage skills were kind of suspect. Yeah. So you want that you want that safety hybrid who's more of a cornerback than a linebacker instead of Isaiah Simmons, who's more of a linebacker than a safety or a cornerback.
2: Yeah. No, Derwin absurd, which it's Staley's never going to talk about like exactly how much he probably likes using him, what he can do with him, because that's something that grows over the year. But yeah, like that's got to be the best part about being. That coach right now.
3: Oh, with his dude, command. he yeah, he was fighting himself. Like, cause I asked yeah, yeah, yeah. him, and he like he kind of glared at me, and I was like, oh shit, like don't <laughs> man, just just give me a nice answer, don't, cause he's a nice guy. He's not oh, gonna, yes. get, he's not, he's not an asshole, but he, he is a lucky guy though. Going from
1: Jalen to lucky. Derwin, the two yeah. <laughs> biggest freaks in the NFL.
2: No, he's he's a great DC man. It's his system, the star <laughs> position, brother. That's the whole reason it's successful. He's the first
1: first person to ever put a defender yeah. in the slot.
2: Uh, Steven picked the the Chargers. We don't really do picks, but Kalen, confident with the Chargers. I think they're like three point favorites at home, so it's basically like neutral field, equal teams. How are we feeling?
3: Oh, definitely, like definitely the Chargers. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I could I have anecdotes every single time I go to see the Chargers like practice, and I didn't really notice it first time, like. Justin Herbert is as good as Stephen is saying, man. Like, yeah, I I know I will keep the propaganda chain rolling. There was they were just doing seven on air and he did his corner route. It's just so effortless for he looks like fucking Zeus throwing a football and Keenan Allen one hands it, and you could hear the thud from like 40 feet away and just casually like the two of them. Their chemistry is Mm -hmm. it's sick. He's as good as advertised. All
2: right. I'm that to me. That's the most interesting game. That's the most hotly contested game that'll probably be this week. Uh the the other game that I think will be close, tight, and interesting is Bills at Dolphins, which I talked about the Dolphins uh in our week one show, which by the way, our week one show was great. We were exactly right on the Chiefs uh Browns game. We were exactly right on the Dolphins-Patriots game. And I I don't know if that's rude to say, but I'm very proud of how we did. Good work. Hopefully we're right again. But the Dolphins played uh an ugly, tough, hard-nosed game against another, another ugly, tough, hard-nosed team in in New England, if not for a late. Damian Harris fumble, then the score probably goes the other way. But the Dolphins escape with a 17 to 16 win. They're in the driver's seat right now for the AFC East. They're one and out with a divisional win. Now they get the Bills at home. The Bills are 0-1 after one of their weakest offensive performances of recent memory uh, against the Steelers scoring 10 meaningful offensive points. Uh, a game in which Josh Allen got, I think, more fault, more blame for how poorly the Bills offense played. In the, in, in the game, like in Sunday, in Monday, kind of in that reaction. And once you sat down and watched the film, you're like, all right, Allen's still pretty good. Uh, what really stood out about that game was how successful the Steelers were getting pressure without blitzing against Josh Allen. In the game they played in 2020, the Steelers and the Bills, they blitzed Allen 54% of the time. And Allen had like kind of a bad game, but it was generally okay. The Bills were able to win that one. In this game, they blitzed him on one drop back out of 51 mm. dropbacks. And they got pressure on 22 of 51. That's 39%, which is basically the Chiefs Buccaneers Super Bowl. The the Buccaneers blitz Mahomes on on 3 of 56 dropbacks and pressured him on 25 of 56 dropbacks. It was the same general idea in terms of we can always get pressure with four. No quarterback succeeds under that context. Uh we also know the Steelers sat in deep zones against Josh Allen. They muddied up the interior middle of the field so much. All those digs and those seams that the Bills love to throw. Allen was such a good intermediate thrower last year. They just put bodies in there, and they changed where the bodies were coming from. They muddied up the picture, uh, forced him to make check down throws against zone coverage. It's not what Allen wants to do. In 2020, this is from uh, a Mark Schofield piece for Touchdown Wire. Against zone coverages, Allen completed 71% of his throws, which is higher than he did against man. Um, but his pass rating dropped to 95.1. He threw 11 touchdowns versus eight interceptions. When he was thrown against man, uh, he had a pass rating of 126, uh, completed 65% of his passes, but had 25 touchdowns with just two interceptions. So much more explosive, much bigger passes, much more success, even if the completion percentage drops. Now they get Miami. The Steelers just beat the Bills' offense by not blitzing and playing zones. Guess what Miami never does ever? <laughs> not blitz and play zones. Uh, this team last year, Brian Flores gave up, uh, 56 points to Buffalo in week 17, a must win game for the Dolphins to make the playoffs. Now the bills had a, a pick six and they had a, a punt return touchdown, but they scored 30 plus offensive points. Uh, and they also gave up 31 points to the bills uh, in week two. In that week two game, Allen was 24 for 35, 417 yards, four touchdowns. And in the Week 17 game, the game that they needed to win in order to make the playoffs, he blitzed Allen 53% of his dropbacks. He was one of the blitz-heaviest coaches in the league last year, Brian Flores was, and he dialed it up against Allen. If Miami walks out and tries to blitz Allen to death and play man coverage behind it, they're going to lose this football game. Allen is too good. And I know Allen didn't play well, but Allen is too good. And he's diced up that approach on defense in 2020 and i would expect him to do it again in 2021 so i talked a little bit about how wink martindale needs to change the way he plays the chiefs because you got to be able to beat that top team in your conference when you're a perennial playoff contender if the dolphins are going to be an afc east contender you got to beat the teams in your division they can go two and oh with two division wins right now be the the number one most comfortable team in the league in terms of their division hopes after two weeks they've got to be able to play zone and get pressure with four uh i don't think they will because i think florida's likes his identity And I don't even think they can if they do it. They don't have the right body types to play zone, uh, and they don't have the sort of guys who can get pressure with four. Raquan Davis, who was one of their best defensive linemen, big house on the interior, great early down player. He's out with injury. So their defensive tackle depth, which is already a big weak part for them, is already weaker. Uh, Jalen Phillips, the rookie edge who they drafted, has had a long onboarding process. He looked okay in week one, but nothing special. I don't think they can get pressure with four. If you can't pressure Allen, you can't beat him. And I don't think they can blitz and play man behind it because Allen beats that too. Uh, So to me... I'm a big believer in the Dolphins' season long, but just looking at at the way they want to win football games and the way Buffalo plays with Allen, I don't see it happening in this one.
1: I'll I'll say this. To your point, in week one, Miami blitzed 45% of the time. That was second most in the league last week. But they only played man coverage. It's a, uh, they played zone coverage, ninth highest usage rate in week one. Hey! So maybe they will blitz and they'll play zone, which I think is probably a good strategy because like you said, I don't think they're getting pressure with four and you have to get pressure on Allen. We saw last year when he was able to sit back and the offensive line gave him loads of time in the pocket. He eventually found a receiver.
2: And that's the thing is Allen under pressure last year was worse than he was when kept clean. That's obvious. That's pretty much the case for all quarterbacks against the blitz he was basically the same as he was when not blitzed, right? That's always an important distinction, right? Like Herbert last year was really, really, really good when pressured. He wasn't as good when blitzed, right? There's a difference in terms of I'm getting pressure with pressured by four, or I'm getting pressured right now by six or by seven. Uh, So Allen's always been great, even against the blitz. So even if they do play zone blitz, it'll help because your zone defenders have eyes in the backfield. So they can read the quarterback's intentions, read his shoulder, see where he's throwing the ball to, but also if Allen escapes, You're not playing man coverage behind it. So you have eyes on the quarterback. You can go and make sure you limit those scrambles. But even then, he's always been so good against the blitz because I think he's really good at breaking tackles. He's really good at taking hits. And he's really, really willing to hit those quick hot route windows because he has so much velocity on the ball.
1: One of the reasons why I think it's better just to play zone against the Bills is you put the onus on the quarterback to find the open guy. Whereas if it's man coverage, it's basically pick the best matchup. I don't have to do my thinking after the snap unless they do something to take away that guy I wanted to target, which opens up something else. But if he has to do his processing after the snap, I think that's when he gets into trouble, and that's when he maybe forgets about his mechanics and starts to miss throws.
3: Yeah, Yeah, no, I was basically going to echo, like, pair at that point, because when you watch that Week 17 matchup, like, it's a stalemate throughout the first, like, quarter and a half because of what the Dolphins were able to do in terms of pressuring him, and I don't know if he was really able to solve like the man coverage of where he was able to go until, you know, he started realizing I can get into that little hole, like pocket right behind where the linebacker is probably vacating. Mm-hmm. And there's a real, there's an RPO there. There's that drive, like late in the second quarter where he, they execute like an RPO and he pulls it. And I can't remember if it's Jones or Howard in coverage, but he's trailing digs on like a glance slant, whatever it is. And Allen, he's got four or five guys in his face and he's just able to fire it like right into his lap because there's nobody there and he recognized that's man coverage. So I, I think like Steven said, if you give him more looks and force him the process after the snap by running some more zones and you know, still being able to execute some blitzes, I think that you have a better shot if you're Miami in that case.
2: Yeah, and blitz tracks are also really important against Allen as well because he's not going to be the sort of like Tom Brady guy who, oh, I'm getting so Let me take a half scooch up, just make this angle a little bit easier for my running back buy an extra second and then get rid of the ball quickly. Allen will make the dude miss, which is big movements, big movements in the pocket. He's going to reset his feet. He's going to climb all the way up or he's going to break and go outside. And we saw this with the Steelers. He ran himself into multiple sacks because the Steelers understood Constant hustle, win your reps and stay on your blitz track. So if you are a, a high outside rusher rushing to the quarterback's back shoulder and he steps up, keep going because he's gonna keep moving. You know what I mean? Like it's not like he's he's getting rid of the ball now. He's gonna hold on to it, he's gonna go. And that's how TJ Watt got a strip sack. That's how Cameron Hayward got a sack. So when you blitz, I think a, a common conception about blitzing is like everyone's trying to get to the quarterback, isn't the case everyone's trying to free up one guy to get to the quarterback. And if that guy misses, there are other dudes who are responsible for going to get the quarterback wherever he escapes to. And that's critical against Allen. I remember that Niners game last year. The Niners sent heat at him, and they would get heat on him, but they were flying. And Allen would like step up, and no one would be there. He could just hold the ball for four seconds, dancing on the line of scrimmage, threatening to run and also threatening to throw 50 yards down the field. So a player like Allen, your, your blitz maintenance, you call it rush lane maintenance, is super important.
1: Yeah, I do... I- What do you think the game plan is going to be? Do you think they're going to play man again? Because I I could see a situation where Flores watches that game from last week and takes the wrong lesson from it and sees an inaccurate Allen and thinks, oh, let's make him make tight window throws against man coverage. He did it last year against us. Although in that first game, he did have a couple picks dropped. It wasn't like a clean game. Yeah. The Dolphins just didn't capitalize on on the mistakes. So I wonder if Flores watches that tape too and is like, this may have worked if we just played a little better.
2: Yeah, I think they the stay is on there. identity because that's that's the, the vibe I get from the way that they want to be as a team. What I will say is important is this. We did a lot of riffing on uh, if you're going to live in empty against the Dolphins. The Dolphins are going to send one more than you can block and they're going to live with the results. But if you're going to show them we're only protecting with five, they will send six. They do not care uh, well. The Bills lived in empty against the Steelers, and it's because they had some tight end health issues. Uh, Tommy Sweeney's got an injury, only played two snaps. I don't know if he's going to be 100% available for this upcoming game. They only had Devin Singletary. Zach Moss was not active. Apparently, he's going to be active for this game, which is helpful in pass protection. But because they're so wide receiver heavy on their depth chart, they lived in four open formations. That's four receivers, none of them attached to to the line of scrimmage and then a running back. Or they lived in empty. That's five players out, no running backs, no tight ends. Those looks, Flores will blitz them until the cows come home. And the thing is, like, if he gives up an explosive, sucks. That's unfortunate. It gives up two explosives, dang, I wish we were better. But once he gets the blitz that lands, that's a huge hit. It's a huge loss. And sometimes it's a turnover as well. Uh, and so if the Bills, to me, the biggest offensive improvement the Bills need to make schematically is being able to keep more guys in for protection, lie a little bit better with their, their formations, lie a little bit better on their tendencies, and that's the best thing that can take the teeth out of this Miami Dolphins blitz. I don't know if they have the bodies back yet to get that done.
1: Yeah, I think the, I think the key for the Dolphins is stopping the crossing routes because that's what gave them the most trouble. And I'm just disregarding the second matchup just because it was the Bills twos. In that first matchup, those crossing routes just killed Miami. And then containing Beasley on his option routes that he does. Like It seems like he runs like 50 option routes a game.
2: Yeah, and that's the big weak spot for the Dolphins secondary right now. They're really good across the board, but it's still Nick Needham playing that nickel.
1: Yeah, I wonder if if Flores takes a page out of Belichick's book from his game plan against the Chiefs last year, and he starts playing when they line up three by one. Belichick played that number three defender inside leverage to take away the crossing route because he's going to break across the field, which is something he doesn't usually do when they play cover one because you want to play to your help and your help is in the middle of the field. So you play outside leverage, but -hmm. the chiefs run those crossers to death. So that's why you do that. I wonder if Flores takes that same tactic and is able to play man without worrying about the crossers by doing that. And then that just makes everything else easier elsewhere on the field.
2: Yeah. And then you start getting deep outs from Stefan Diggs out of the slot and then your <laughs> life is over. It's a tough ask nice. ma- managing those bills receivers.
1: This episode is brought to you by State Farm from your morning podcast to your fantasy team. We know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm personal price plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability and eligibility may
0: vary. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer.
2: All right, those are our three games of the week. Uh, We're on to our second category, Games Which Need Games. I don't know who named that, but I actually really like that because that's pretty much how we talk about these. We talk about a middling slate with a bunch of mini games and talking points and silly stuff. We actually open... Uh, traditionally on this podcast. And by traditionally, I mean last week and this week. And that's all of the podcasts we've done with Stephen's must-win game of the week, a segment that will probably become more serious later. But for now, it's just silly, though, of course, the Owen tombstone is important. Stephen, must-win game of the week for you coming into week two.
1: We're putting the Patriots on must-win watch in week two. <laughs> it's already, It's this is the season decider. If they lose this, it's over. And Belichick going to lose to a rookie
2: quarterback with no offensive line?
1: No, probably not. But I will say this. Like, I was not encouraged by what I saw out of the defense, even though they ended up holding the Dolphins. How many points did they score? It was was 17, 17, 17, 16 was the final score. Lower than 20. So, like, on paper, it's a good performance. But, like I said, during last week's pod, the big thing for me was going to be seeing how they play defense. Were they going to blitz a lot? Were they going to play a lot of cover zero? Were they going to put faith in that secondary to play man-to-man? And no, they didn't. They didn't do a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. There were some blitzes, but they were safer blitzes. They weren't playing cover zero. They played a lot more zone, although they did some match stuff, which they weren't doing last year. But that secondary, like I, Ben Warren does like Jalen Mills on the outside. Not a good situation. They try to get him with a double move. but I, And I will say this, Jalen Mills has learned to defend a double move. He made a good play on it.
2: Only took him five years, brother. <laughs> Only All right, five that's years. The development we like to see.
1: <laughs> and you better believe he celebrated the hell out of that
2: pass deflection it was a taunt there's no way it wasn't a taunt come on enforce the rules refs no, i don't care i love now when players get away with taunting it feels even better Thank um God. yeah that's that's patriots jets by the way is the, is the team that they're facing i don't think we said who their opponent was but the jets are the team with the it, uh, it
1: doesn't matter who they're playing
2: it really I mean, it does if they do go zero and two with two divisional losses i agree it is a must-win game for the patriots
1: but I, I do think Mac should have a good game against this team. I do think they're going to be able to run the ball in the Jets, and they're going to be able to pass the ball. So I, even if the defense looks a little suspect, I think the Patriots still win. But that's what I'm watching. If this Patriots defense doesn't dominate and suffocate the Jets, then I'm willing to write the Patriots off as contenders, like as a serious threat to win a playoff game. I think they, they'll still be in the playoff race, but I don't think they'll be a team that we're like picking to win wildcard weekend
2: yeah that's fair to me uh all right i have a playoff take this is a, a saying that we call buying or selling where i give a take or somebody gives a take and then you guys can tell me if you're buying it or selling it we have the las vegas raiders proud one and oh las vegas raiders against the proud one and oh pittsburgh Steelers, one o'clock game in pittsburgh uh buying or selling that one of these teams makes the playoffs for the afc caitlin
3: buying um I think the Sears end up. I think the Sears end up making playoffs. Like, it, like could t- could end up making the playoffs. I think their offense is just so stuck in the mud, man. Like they they don't have, and, and so much comes down to how bad their offensive line is, but also how bad Ben Roethlisberger is. Like the mm-hmm. tandem of those issues really kind of caps your potential as a team, which sucks because their defense is so good. Like you you were talking about it. I was going to bring up some timeline therapy because you mentioned, I think you and Nate Tice, like custom rigged, you know, Pittsburgh's front and really their entire schematics against the Bills to play cover two, which is something that they really never do. And I, I think, you know, the fact that the Steelers have a Super Bowl caliber defense, it's going to give them a shot even within the division. I think that the Ravens going through what they're going through right now really does open the door for them and giving them kind of a pathway to get there. But, I mean, if we're going to talk about the Raiders being that other team that could potentially make it, I mean, the AFC West is just a gauntlet. I, I don't know if they're going to be that team, but if they keep eking out uh, dinky little wins like they did last week on Monday night against the Ravens, then who knows? You're telling you, me so, an knows?
2: overtime win with an interception thrown in the end zone is not a good model to continually and consistently win Oh <laughs> So highly
3: sustainable, man. Are you kidding me?
2: Highly line on a 55 yard field goal as time expired. No, I don't Darren think Waller. With hey, that was a
3: great drive by Derek Carr though. Yeah, that
2: was a great drive. Darren Waller with Carr. 19 targets, baby. Just <laughs> that. The yeah. They watched the Kansas city <laughs> offense. And their main takeaway was we just got a Kelsey. That's, that's the main thing we need Kelsey. Right. And then we need Miko Hardman. We'll just draft him in the first round with the 11th overall pick. <laughs> anyway, Uh, All right. I have some timeline therapy as well. Uh, This is where we react to Twitter takes that we see flying around. This is about uh, 49ers at Eagles, which is a one o'clock game. Going to be a very interesting game for an Eagles team that a lot of people are very faithful in. I'm not uh, and a Niners team with dealing with some injury, but still looks really good. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, their second year receiver, he was an ex first round pick, had a weird debut. Uh, He played 26 offensive snaps. He ran routes on 15 of those snaps and run blocked on 11 of them. Uh, he was not targeted throughout the game. Uh, he ran a lot of clear-out routes, right? A lot of just go fly down the field, occupy a safety, occupy a deep corner. We're going to throw underneath you on crossers and whatnot. Uh, meanwhile, Trent Sherfield, who was conceivably below him on the depth chart, certainly had way less off-season hype coming in. He played 27 snaps, so one more than Iuke, ran 14 routes, one fewer than Iuke, and run blocked on 13 of those snaps. Sherfield is a new addition to the 49ers. He was brought over from Arizona in free agency this year. And the fantasy football community, who we love on this podcast, it's all about your fantasy team, was really excited for Brandon Ayuk this year. Makes sense. He was productive as a rookie. It's a really great system. Uh, and Ayuk and Sherfield basically split the snaps. And Shannon had a quote where he said, if he wants to be out there every single play, referring to Ayuk, he's got to be a lot better than the guy behind him. And they took this and just ran with it. And they were like, Ayuk's in the doghouse. This is Dante Pettis 2.0. You know what I mean, Like, is, is that Shanahan hates Ayuk. Like Ayuk is the seventh right now in wide receiver drills, right? It's so like they run drills and he's the last guy to go. And everybody's like, this is the end. Like Ayuk Shanahan will never talk to Brandon Ayuk again. Meanwhile, in the same presser in the paragraph before Kyle Shanahan said that Ayuk had a hamstring strain during camp. It's been tough for him to stay out there consistently. Meanwhile, Shurfield's really impressed us. He said, quote, I'm happy with Ayuk. It's nothing against Iuk. Iyuk still got a chance to get that spot up and not rotate as much because the whole point is that he like, he's just rotating. Trent just doesn't make that very easy. So they just like Trent. They just like Trent Shurfield. That's it. This is like classic Shanahan. <laughs> like Richie James had like 10 catches, 100 yards and a touchdown like the middle of the season last year for no reason. Like they had so many wide receiver injuries last year. They added to their depth with Shurfield. They're happy with what they got. They just... Fed Debo this week. Debo's amazing, and Brandon Ayuk's gonna be fine. It's just this is what the Shanahan offense is. It's this is the matchup we like this week. We we if we have a a good nifty slot receiver in Trent Sherfield, we're gonna make sure he's out there because sometimes he's gonna get like eight targets for eighty seven yards because that's how the way that we're gonna want to move the football. Like it's just that Sherfield's good. Brandon Ayuk is gonna be fine. Also, the Niners scored forty one points, so I don't think we have to worry about how they've got their offense broken up. That's my time.
1: This sounds like someone who has ayuk on a lot of their fantasy i don't it does
2: i I don't and that's that's the thing that like really grinds my gears with this is like the fantasy community really 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 loved ayuk coming into the year if you watch debo's film and then watch ayuk's film it is extremely clear who the better football player is it is debo samuel ayuk has a lot of talent he's just a raw player he was a juco guy hopped up to the arizona state level played for one year he is a learning developing guy who shanahan Took in the first round. To me, that was a bit of a reach. I don't know when we're going to stop, stop believing in Shanahan's ability to evaluate skill position players because all of his early drafted skill position players, Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Hurd, Trey Sermon, uh, Joe Williams, the running back out of Utah, they're all just like shiny toys that don't really have like a full, well-rounded game. And once they get into the building, Shanahan usually like, gets tired of them pretty quickly. Um, so I just, Ayuk, to me, is an incomplete player. And I think right now he's being used and rotated as that, as an incomplete player who's coming off a hamstring strain. And everybody's acting like the sky is falling when the 49ers scored 40 points and Debo Samuel like nine catches for 190 yards. They're fine. This is how they want to play offense.
3: I completely thought this rant was going to be reserved for Eagles take, not a 49ers take coming out of Ben
1: Select's mouth. No, that's it. Not a a 49ers uh, receiver usage take.
2: Here's the thing. The... I, I'm I'm just so mired in Eagles Twitter at this point, and like I've seen so many of the takes that like now when people are like Jalen Hurts showed you exactly what you want to see on Sunday from a starting quarterback, I'm like I, that doesn't even like I don't that's even register to me anymore. It's not even a blip on my radar. Oh I'm just like no. Listen, I lived through the entire Carson Wentz era on Eagles Twitter. Nothing will affect <laughs> me in terms of radical timeline things. I, I don't
1: I don't think we talk about it enough, but like Kyle Shanahan was a receiver in college. And I think mm-hmm. he's very particular about what he wants from his receiver. So it's very easy to fall Absolutely. into that doghouse. man. He's seen as this like offensive genius who just knows everything. But like receiver is his roots. And I think that that's why it's so easy for a receiver to just disappear and fall off the face of the earth like Pettis did before. Yeah. He
2: has it. a great <laughs> quote, which I'll retweet on my time. i want to go find it where he talks about how route running is just not the same in college as it was because of RPOs, because of spacing rules. And so it's a lot harder to bring guys up and have them be good route runners right away. And he was talking about it in regards to Debo in his rookie season. Yep. Ayuk is not a very clean route runner right now. You know who's a great route runner in like eight yards to the line of scrimmage short area? Trent Sherfield. He just is what he is and you know what he is. And it's helpful to have that player. It's just, I feel like everybody now just always wants to jump at every Shanahan quote because of the whole Mac Jones, Trey Lance thing. And it's just like the guy had a hamstring strain and they're easing him back in week one. It's 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 in my opinion it's very straightforward in the same way that like the Trey Lance thing was very straightforward. Shanahan was like, "If a guy has a good arm, I want to draft him." That's just what he said, and then he drafted a guy with a really good arm. Like the whole like Kyle Shanahan quote interpretation thing now is driving me nuts. No, it is.
3: I, I mean, it, you would think it'd be reason to not care about what he says, like take it to like as seriously as everyone is. But mm-hmm. here we are. Ben Ben Salak running for seven or eight minutes about
1: the
2: 49ers. Wide receiver I usage. did not think that was going to go that long, <laughs> but I kept thinking of things I wanted to get off my chest. All is right. it time
1: for me to cancel a team? I want to cancel a team.
2: Yes. I would like for you okay. to cancel a team. Uh, Steven told us in our production meeting earlier this week that he'd like to cancel teams uh, and just slowly, slowly winnow the field of NFL teams that only the playoff teams remain by the time we get there. Steven, who are you canceling this week?
1: By the way, this is a pro cancel culture podcast. I just want to get that. Out. I, I, speak yeah. for,
2: I speak for everyone else.
1: But I'm canceling the Titans. One game in, I'm canceling them. I know they got a bunch of hype after the Julio Jones trade, but I think that trade like made everyone forget that the Titans roster was really bad going into that trade. Like Before that, we were all looking at their roster and like, how did it come to this, and how is this team going to win any games? And surprisingly, Julio Jones, a player who was unable to solve all the Falcons' problems, was not able to solve all the
2: Titans' problems. Play Hulu on both sides of the ball, you cowards.
1: (laughs) Right, They should, and it's both sides (laughs) of the ball now. Like Before, it was just like, this Titans' defense is a mess, and we're not going to talk about it, because look at all these shiny parts they have on offense. But the shiny parts didn't work in week one, and they didn't work Mm -hmm. for the reasons why I feared they wouldn't work. And Todd Downing is not a very good offensive coordinator. I'm not going to put it all on him, because they could not block Chandler Jones. Taylor Lewan had... Very public issues with uh, blocking him. But my issue with Downing is why not give him help? Like I watched that whole game. They did not mm. give the left tackle, no matter who it was. I think Kendall Lamb came in for uh, Lawan for like three snaps, got two, immediately got two uh, false starts and gave up a sack and then was replaced <laughs> by Lawan again.
2: God bless Kendall Lamb.
1: But no help, no chips from tight ends. Not a lot of play action. Only seven point eight percent of his dropbacks were play action, the lowest of his career going back to twenty sixteen, which is
2: right. The first, and it's he can not even back. like it's hard to look at what's happened to Ryan Tannehill's career and be like, I wonder what really helped him there in in, right. in the most recent years. It's not even like it's confusing. It was play action. It was that offense.
1: Tannehill is like a weird, like there are a bunch of these quarterbacks that benefit from these play action heavy offenses, right? Yep. like a I lot call of them, like, the
2: Shanahan automatons. They're just robots who execute, baby. Tannehill
1: isn't like the rest of them where I feel like he can make a lot of elite throws. Like the touchdown pass he made to A.J. Brown in week one Mm -hmm. was amazing. Tight pocket, barely any window, got hit after he threw the ball. And that's his thing. He's like, he can stand in the pocket and make a throw downfield. The problem is when he has to think and think quickly and adjust. And when you have to do, you have to do that more and drop back. Drop back passing game, like in play action, you have your reads more defined, and he just can't do it. And that was my issue with the offense. If they weren't going to run a lot of play action, which Downing didn't do in Oakland, there was going to be problems, and that's what happened mm-hmm. against Arizona. And to add on to that, I thought Ar- Arthur Smith didn't get enough credit for what he did for Derrick Henry and yes. scheming things up in yep. the run game, using receivers as blockers, and we did not see that in Week One. In fact, I think. I think Julio Jones blocking came under scrutiny too. So losing Corey Davis might've been a bigger issue than we thought for the run game. Derrick Henry couldn't run. And that just caused so many problems that I don't think playing against other defenses is going to solve
2: it. Yeah. When you are able to bring wide receivers into block, you bring corners and safeties into the run fit. And when corners and safeties have to tackle Derrick Henry in space, Josh Josh Norman Norman gets put on a poster. Uh, So if you can't do that, then it's Henry versus linebackers. And you still like that. You don't like it as much. Uh, and like, and say, you know- say
1: what you want about Corey Davis compared to Julio Jones. Obviously, in the past game, no comparison. Although I do think Corey Davis is underrated as a receiver. But as a blocker, Corey Davis is a dog. Yeah. And Julio an awesome Jones. blocker. I don't think Julio Jones is interested in blocking at this point. So they don't have that guy. Rightfully like. so and they don't have Jonu Smith anymore so it kind of mm-hmm. messes with their condensed formations because they were able to do play action stuff off of that and still block in the run game now they can't do either of those things and now you don't even have Arthur Smith there to fix it you have some other offensive coordinator who just stepped into his role we're not i'm not confident that he's going to be able to fix this
2: yeah i very much agree and they face a Seattle offense which they they couldn't stop Kyler and now they get big boy kyler they get who kyler wants to be right they get russell wilson uh who the they're still figuring stuff out on the offensive side of the ball in terms of what they want to be but russ looked great i don't know what we have to do narrative wise to get like the russ MVP hype to actually peak at the correct times but if he keeps doing five incompletions four touchdowns eventually we're going to get right back on this godforsaken conversation of russ for MVP.
1: That's, but that's every first half of the season. Like he, I think last year he had like more touchdowns and incompletions for like the first three weeks, but then eventually it breaks and they don't know how to fix it. And that's, that's why I'm like pumping the brakes on the Seahawks offense. Cause against the Colts, everything worked like it was supposed to work. What happens when it doesn't work and they can't that's run a, a bunch on first down because they were running on first down. Russ didn't really get the keys to the offense. They didn't let him cook.
2: Until second and third down, uh, I'm here to tell you right now, steven We don't care. We don't care. All right, Russ for MVP. we don't care. Russ for MVP. Uh, okay, the final game that we've got in this segment belongs to oh, the team that lost to the Seahawks, uh, the Colts, and then the Seahawks' divisional rival, the Rams. Which uh, Rams are so freaking good against the Bears, man. I re- I watched that film most recently. Oh, I'm so this offense gonna be so much fun. Okay. We just got off of Titans despair talk. So buying or selling at 0-2 after they lose this game to the Rams. The Indianapolis Colts are still the favorite to win the AFC South.
1: Well, I just canceled the Tennessee, and I'm obviously not going to pick buying. Houston or Jacksonville to win this. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like by default, I have to say, yeah, I'm buying.
2: Colts are going to be 0-2, uh, having lost to the Rams, having lost to the Seahawks. I'm pretty sure their schedule is also awful after this. They get the Titans, they'll win that. Dolphins, Ravens, Texans, 49ers. The Colts could be like two and six. And we'd be like, listen, they're in the driver's seat for the division, baby. Here we go.
1: That's the thing. I just think
3: the fact that the division just isn't good enough. Right. They're gonna be in the like mm-hmm. they're they're gonna win by default, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they're
1: gonna be two and six in and- they're going to be in first place in the division. It's like the AFC, the NFC East last year where like... the I was about to say it's this The Eagles NFC. were like one in three and then had a commanding lead in first place.
3: You know, Listen. the biggest difference though is that they're going to be on hard knocks and we're going to get to
2: see the insides of this shit. Imagine being Carson. And you're in Carson Wentz, you leave Philadelphia, like, oh, it's such like a circus, like everything back here was so like, humblued. I just want to go to Indianapolis, sleepy media t- like, you not going to be as much attention. It's not going to be like as, as rampant a fan base. Is I'm just gonna be able to settle down and go. He when he went to India, he was like, oh, it's back to like my sort of people. You know what I mean? Like Midwest, whatever. Hard knocks, middle of the season. Hard knocks. Dave <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Schreiber was like, you thought, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel bad for him but also I would be lying if I said I didn't take a little bit of vindictive pleasure over the fact that Hard Knox is following him to Indianapolis.
1: There's a lot that could impress you about the all new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV, it's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.
3: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.
2: All right, uh, that's our second segment. That's the middle slate of games. We move on now uh, to the Give Me a Reasons, which is the final segment of games. We have seven this week that just, you know, they might be on Red Zone. They might be your local game. You might see some. and And if you want to you know, have a good reason to divert some attention to that game, uh, then I'm here to deliver the best possible reason I can. I'm not going to lie. This game is already harder in week two than it was in week one. I'm extremely concerned about getting to the middle of the season. But seven games on the docket. Kayla and Steven, we have uh, buzzers now. So you can officially uh, adjudicate whether or not the reason was worthy or not. Which game would you like to hear first?
1: Let's go Falcons Bucks because I'm not interested in watching this Falcons team. I have ever.
2: actually, I have a good one for this one. Right, I'm confident. Okay, in one. You ready? Hello. So the biggest shutout in NFL history was 59 to zero. It happened twice. The Patriots beat the Tennessee Titans on October 18th, 2009, which I don't even remember that game, but that like is in living memory. And then the Rams beat the Falcons in 1976, 59 to nothing. This is when the Falcons had the cool old logo, but also the Rams had a sick logo. I've never seen this logo before. It has no color. It's just black and white. It looks awesome. You should look it up. Anyway, Atlanta had eight total first downs and they had four turnovers. The Rams had three players complete a pass, including Ron Jaworski, who I did not know played for the Rams. Uh, The game ball goes to running back Lawrence McCutcheon, who had 20 carries, one hundred twenty-one yards and three touchdowns. They scored on 10 drives and pro football reference doesn't have the drive list, but I'm guessing they only had 10 drives in the entire game because it was 1976. So 59 to zero was the deficit. What if I told you there's a chance the Falcons become the losing team in two of like the three greatest shutouts in NFL history because the Bucs are absolutely going to beat them by like at least 40 would you then watch the game
1: buzzer sound effect bring in the buzzer sound effect that's a no you watch NFL history
2: you have of the Atlanta Falcons
1: you have totally misjudged how I like to consume my Falcons misery and it's not them just getting pulverized from (laughs) minute one to minute 60 I like to see them get some hope get the fans excited if they're be, And it happened in the Bucs game last year, I think. I think both Bucs games, they jumped out to leads. And then Brady just ripped their hearts out again. That's what I want to see. I will watch that. But I'm, I'm only going to tune in in the fourth quarter when they were up by like 17 in the third. And now Brady's driving to take the
3: lead. Kalen? I'm in the same boat, dude. Like, I, I'm <sighs> petty. I, I want to see people's hearts get ripped out. This is the best part of sports. Misery. <laughs> Oh especially especially the falcons
2: uh, all right next time i'll find moves. a way to fold the falcons eventual loss uh, in with an initial lead here's
1: a tip going forward any game with tom brady involved if you want me to watch just be like tom brady is gonna get hit and he's gonna
2: be terrible and wow. i'm in very much vindictive <laughs> responses from the gallery that's so not, on the the table, <laughs> though, not on
1: the table though. not on the table
2: Oh my uh, god! I just want to be rooting so hard for like a Kyle Trask touchdown drive with four minutes left. He's throwing it to Tyler Johnson and Cameron Bray. We're like, yeah, beam, Why are you going to be
3: watching that,
2: man? What game y'all want next?
3: Uh, give me Vikings and Cardinals.
2: Okay, this is another potential record-setting one. Uh, Chandler Jones five sacks against Taylor the One. Taylor the One said, "Thank you for teaching me this lesson. i was so appreciate it. I just have learned so much over the course of this experience." Well. Another tackle in need of a lesson is Rashad Hill, who's the starting left tackle for the Vikings. He's technically their backup because they wanted to replace him with Christian not the He's a veteran journeyman. He's not the best pass protector you've ever doggone seen. So, Chandler Jones got five sacks against the one last week. The record is the Derek Thomas seven sack game against Seattle. We sacked a man named Dave Krieg, who apparently exists. Uh, he also had a six sack game, I learned. I don't remember Dave Krieg at all. Did not Dave, know.
1: Dave Craig. It's Craig. Craig? Yeah, it's Dave Craig, dude show some respect yeah i cannot emphasize Seahawks this legend enough. If he i'm gonna cancel ben
2: if he listen <laughs> if he played the before the year like 2002 ban. he's barely within my conception of football history Don't, i read these names i have no idea we had okay we also had six <laughs> sack games from agent claymore versus Dallas. that was the uh the blake bell game tremendous delight everybody remembers how fun that was to watch right like, that was a good time what if i could tell you you could get that again chandler jones pissed off against the cardinals Coming off of five sacks, if he gets at least five sacks in this game, firstly, he'll be the league leader with 10 sacks in two games. That'll be hilarious. Secondly, he'll be the only player besides Derek Thomas with multiple five-plus sack career games in his career. Chandler Jones, perennially underrated. Let's have a huge game against Rashad Hill and then be less underrated and also see if Rashad Hill tweets about the lessons he's learned as well. I'm in.
1: And I'm in for a reason you didn't name, although you were kind of hinting at it, and that's, and this goes along the same lines as the Brady thing. You just want Kirk, Kirk Cousins beat up. <laughs> Kirk Cousins getting sacked all day. I'm with it.
2: Boy, I was gonna God. try to fold in like a Cousins get sacked, Zimmer gets pissed, Kellen Mond starts the third quarter sort of vibe, but I think it's a little too early for that. I want to hold that ace in the hole for later.
1: Oh, I'm turning right over to the Vikings game
2: if Mond gets in,
1: especially if Kirk gets benched, then we might see like a blow up on the sideline
2: which uh, a little Adam Thielen versus Kirk Cousins. The route's supposed to go this way argument on the sideline. I feel like this is the second. No, I'm talking about
1: a Kirk uh, Kirk Zimmer blow up. That's (laughs) what I want.
2: (laughs) If Kirk were blowing up at Zimmer, Zimmer would just calmly walk away from him and completely ignore him on the sideline. I don't think Zimmer would like even react.
1: No, I disagree. I think Zimmer's praying for a confrontation (laughs) with Kirk. Cousins. He's been waiting on this for like three years now. Every day he wakes up hoping Kirk Cousins says
2: something. Kalen, good enough for you?
1: It is good enough for me. Um,
3: I was hoping that you'd bring up like Patrick Peterson in any way because I'm still upset at y'all for saying that
1: you guys don't like his number seven in the green room.
3: That was night.
2: me. I don't know if Steven agreed with that. Did you agree with that? No, I agree. He's
1: too old. Yeah, I agreed old. with your. It's like a midlife crisis situation. Oh it is a Pat gosh. Pete revenge game. That shit it is, is dope. Yeah. By just the way, not,
2: I'm just not super interested in the revenge of Patrick Peterson,
1: unfortunately. By the way, Ben, were you just drinking milk? Because that would be. Completely not, on brand.
2: It's iced coffee.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. It's a little... No.
2: It's, how much, it's, it's, how much I, milk do you put in I, pour, it? I accidentally poured too much creamer into it, but I wasn't going to no. not have coffee. So, yes, it is lighter than I used to oh, so It's creamer. not milk. We can't be put in, putting these claims out into the world. People will take those and run with them.
1: Ben is drinking a glass yeah. of milk.
2: I'm just doing my best <laughs> to become the uh, assistant to the head coach for the Los Angeles Rams football team. Okay, <laughs> who's the next one that y'all want?
1: <laughs> Let's do Broncos, Jags, because I want to hear this. I think we've canceled out... You can't use Trevor Lawrence as a reason to watch Jaguars games.
2: Yeah, it's too easy. Uh, I will say I did struggle with this one until I found a delightful exchange between uh, ex-Ohio State Buckeye, current Denver Broncos defensive lineman Draymond Jones, who yesterday uh, was asked about Urban Meyer, under whom he played at Ohio State, if he was surprised that Urban Meyer was failing to connect with veterans in the Jaguars locker room. And Draymond Jones responded with, am I surprised by it? No. And then he was asked a follow up, which is why? And his answer was, why? I just know how he is. I'm not going to go in great detail about it, but like, no, it doesn't surprise me. And that was the entire exchange. Yeah. So, firstly, let's be honest Broncos are going to win, Jaguars are going to lose. Broncos passing game looked really good. I really liked what I saw from Teddy. They're spreading the ball around pretty successfully. If they get like healthy Sutton back, even with the Jerry Judy injury, I think they're going to be great. Jaguars aren't going to be anybody. They're a total dumpster fire. I'm just hoping we get Draymond Jones saying hi to Urban Meyer, the post-game handshake, and just see if there's that little awkward, stilted conversation where they're both like leaning over each other's shoulders and like trying to like duck their mouths into the shoulder pads so the cameras can't pick up what they're saying. And then they like separate from the bro hug to like say something else and they go back into the bro hug because it turns out they still have things they want to say. And it's kind of like that awkward sequence. And then I just hope Draymond gets asked a follow-up about what it was like to be Urban Meyer. He's like, it's nice.
3: You're not going to get that exchange, but you've sold me on it. and. You know, what's funny is Ryan Shazier actually tipped us on this being the case. Like, I remember doing a pod with him last year on the Ringer NFL show, and he mentioned this, like, and he had kind of a similar response. He was not going to talk about, going into detail about that relationship with Urban Meyer, or not necessarily relationship, but how Urban Meyer kind of runs things at the college level because you got a lot more power when you are a college football coach as opposed to coaching grown-ass NFL players mm-hmm. who are millionaires. Like, it's a lot different, and I, I'm not surprised by reports that you know, Urban is struggling to connect with some of the veteran guys in the room because
2: right, here kind of told us this was going to be the case. It's going to be. And and there's probably enough Ohio State players that we can do this every week. We just ask one of Urban's old players, right? Like, hey, Urban sucks in Jacksonville, huh? And then they'll go, yeah, and that'll be it. Let's do that question at different visiting teams for the rest of the season.
3: Isn't Baron Browning on Denver too? Or was yeah, he, but I, like, oh, he probably yeah, he was he recruited probably missed, by Urban. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. might have
1: been recruited. That's the thing. Like that, that might have been his last recruiting class. Mm-hmm. So, it, like Urban's like this great recruiter, but then like the players come and then the players just like end up hating him immediately. Is that that what's going on?
2: I don't know if it's like hating him immediately. Urban, confirm, but...
1: yeah,
2: Urban probably yeah, Urban probably recruits them and then does everything he can to like keep them in Ohio State. Probably by like spinning them a lot of webs about how the NFL is and isn't. Uh, which you know is unfortunately not unfamiliar to many top college coaches. So Tebow's bow's the only guard.
1: guy that ever liked him, which is why he wanted to keep him around. There you go. But yeah, I, I'm in cause I'm on, I'm on urban watch all, all year. So
2: yeah, I'll watch yep. because of that. I appreciate it. Four games left. What do y'all want?
3: Uh, Texans versus Browns. Give me a reason. Okay. One.
2: This one is a long shot, but I'm going to go for it anyway. The, so the Texans are definitely better than we thought, right? Be the Jaguars looked good. Did cool, fun stuff on offense. We agree on that. Yes. The Browns, coming off of a major hard-fought emotional loss, right? They tried really hard against the Chiefs. They were super close to winning. Devastating loss, right? We agree on that. Yep. That's typically the formula for a letdown game later. So what I'm arguing here is that in Cleveland, there is a greater than 0% chance that the butt of every single joke in the Houston Texans across the course of the offseason beats the Browns in the Tyrod Taylor revenge game, which that's an actually interesting revenge game narrative for me because like Tyrod was like, you know, oh, he brought Baker along, like, you know, uh, Padawan, you know, whatever Jedi training master. Imagine if he beats Baker in Cleveland with Houston's depth chart. Just if there's a chance, it's worth shooting in. Yeah, I agree with that.
1: I would love to see the Browns. The hyped up Browns lose to the, whatever the opposite of hyped up Texans are. But I will say this any game that the Texans win, like any football game that the Texans win this year, is going to be a bad football game. They're not capable of winning a good football game. So it's going to be hard to watch. But with this Browns team, how it was hyped, an ugly Browns game is very enjoyable to me.
2: Kalen? Texans. Oh, I'm
1: sold. I, I, yes. I think Tarad
3: Taylor has quietly, he like, one of the well. coolest. Well, he was he, good. He, not just that, he has a cool-ass quarterback aesthetic, and I don't think it's talked about enough. The man, yes. like, the way he throws the football is fucking awesome. Anyway, um, I think the, the Texans' offensive line is, like, supremely underrated, too. I completely forgot they have Marcus Cannon and Laramie Tunsil. Mm-hmm. Like those, they, they played really freaking well. I know it was the Jaguars, but they're going to kick some ass this week, and I'd be very curious to see if they can pull this off, because, again, like we said earlier, I'm kind of here to, to see fans be upset. It's I hard. just
2: want, like, that, like, quick 10-0 and 0 start with, like, get an early turnover, like, score quick, whatever. It's, like, you know, seven minutes into the first quarter so I can just tweet out the screenshot of the scoreboard and be like, uh, rounds, <laughs> question mark, and then just farm some of that dopamine and then just never check the score for the rest of the game. But yeah, just- I'm glad that one worked. <laughs>
1: all
2: right, three left. What do y'all want? saints Panthers
1: Game near and dear to my heart.
2: All right, I'll be honest. I do not have a reason to watch this game. This was the hardest game. My notes read this in all caps. Matt Rule punted from the 33 yard line last week, and that's everything that I have in the notes. They won a five score game against the Jets, or a five point game, excuse me, against the Jets. Uh, they look like pretty much exactly as they did last year, just a little bit better talent. The Saints ran for 300 combined yards them in two games last year. I don't think that they're going to be better enough to stop them. I couldn't come up with a reason besides if you really like dumb punts really close to your opponent's end zone. See.
1: I feel like I could do a good job selling this game. Okay, hit me with it. Point one, Jameis Winston, MVP candidate, question mark. (laughs) If he throws another five touchdowns, you guys are laughing, but if he throws, like, if he has another game like that, super efficient, throws, like, three-plus touchdowns to no interceptions, that discussion's getting started next week. And if it it, doesn't, I'll be
3: the one that starts it coming against the panthers i mean that's the thing like I, it's gonna happen it would happen if he if he threw three touchdowns it's definitely happening because
1: narrative hashtag
3: narrative uh, but
1: also we have the joe brady sean payton matchup
2: the the younger
1: i was thinking about that coming. Coming. Yeah.
2: selling that yeah man and that
1: was that's an easy sell come on ben. sam darnold versus the saints versus a dennis allen defense i think is uh it's a bad recipe for the Panthers. So I think these are all just some LOLs for
2: football nerds. I'm trying to hype this up to the people. <laughs> Tune in to see Matt Rule Turtle in his own shell. Down ten. Uh, I will say if we do get Jameis with a good performance we will start Jameis winston mvp watching this podcast where steven updates us weekly on how close Jameis is to winning the mvp
1: i, I yeah let's do that let's add that segment <laughs> and like even when he like starts playing poorly like he throws like three interceptions two weeks in a row let's continue <laughs> on that bit let's do James mvp watch.
2: remains in the top 25 candidates for the mvp award all right two games left who do you want
1: uh give me Bengals and bears
2: All right, here's the first time. Wait,
1: that's the first time anyone has asked, uh, what do you guys want? And someone says Bears versus Bengals. Give me Bengals, (laughs) Bears, baby.
2: I was going to make a joke about how the Thursday night football game was really good with like a middling starting quarterback and then like a weirdly good backup and how maybe this game will be really good with a middling starting quarterback and Joe Burrow and then a good backup and Andy Mm -hmm. Dalton. Cough, start Justin Fields, end cough. Uh, But instead, I feel like in terms of contentious media to fan base relationships this year, Cincinnati's pretty high up there. Uh, most media members don't think that Cincinnati's really going to take that big of a step forward. Bengals fans tend to have a really high estimation of how their offense is going to perform and their chance to to score 28 points a game, to win, you know, eight, nine games this season. So they beat up in on what, my opinion, is a bad defense in Minnesota. And I think that that's got a lot of Bengals fans hyped up because some people thought it'd be really good. I didn't think it was going to be that good, and, and I, I wasn't impressed by how Minnesota played. They get a Bears defense, which is featuring Kendall Wilder and Duke Shelley as their corner two and their corner three. This is the exact sort of secondary. They play off cover too. They should be able to just eat up, just quick game, eat up out of empty, throw to your talented receivers, push it down the field. I think the Bengals win this game. I think they win this game by scoring a lot of points. So I would petition you, Kalen and Steven, tune in to just watch the climb for Cincinnati Bengals fans. The pride before the fall, as it were, as they really get further and further hyped for this offense. Think about the Steelers last year, how you would just watch and you just get pissed off that they weren't losing, but you knew at some point the house of cards would fall. That to me is the Bengals early in the season. That's why I would tell you to watch this game.
1: No, I'm I'm here for that. I'm okay. appealing to the vindictiveness. Yeah, I was going to say you definitely yeah, appeal to it. This is me. the good one. <laughs> that, that was the best way to go about it, but I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. I, I think the Bears defense, even without the corners, like I feel like in that defense, the corners are the least important part, which is something you can't say about other systems. But with this system, I think you can say it. So I'm not so much worried about that. Mm-hmm. I am kind of worried what we saw out of Joe Burrow. Maybe it was just a bad game, but he was not very good in that game. He missed a lot of throws that we expect him to make all the time. And The, the type of throws he has to make all the time because he doesn't have great arm strength. He has to be perfect everywhere else, and he really wasn't. That's one reason why I want to watch this. I want to see how he plays this week. I want to see if last week was an aberration or maybe it's a, the start of a trend that we're concerned
2: about. I can't believe uh, uh, the Bengals were also last in the league in neutral down pass rate. When they could run the football, they did run the football. And when they shouldn't have ran the football, they still ran the football. And like I think Joe Mixon is, is quite good. I think he's really good and is underappreciated because of the injuries. But uh, fifth overall pick at wide receiver, starting three top 45 picks at wide receiver, number one overall quarterback. We want to be able to, to throw the football here a little bit. Uh, so I've got big concerns about the Bengals offense. But I, got, that's the I, thing. Got a, I got a bear stat that I wanted to get in. And I, I, I
1: should have said it when we were talking about the Rams. But do you know the Bears had the third highest success rate on offense last week? Oh, yeah. They, they, they moved the success. ball.
3: They were moving the football pretty easily. It's just they couldn't yeah. finish.
1: Unless they had Justin Fields on the field. Right. And they scored touchdowns.
3: David Montgomery
2: looking, uh, looking spry. Young David Montgomery. About time.
1: Yeah, maybe that's like a concerning thing about the Rams defense going forward, but mm-hmm. I do think it's a good test for the Bengals defense which has to be better if the Bengals are going to be a fringe wild card team, which I don't think they're going to be, but the Bengals fans think they are. So that's another reason to watch. I think if they can't handle early downs and Stop the Bears from moving the ball. Like, this is not a very good football team. I,
2: I try to appeal to Steven's vindictiveness. I try to appeal to a joke a bit. And Steven's like, well, here's some actual legitimate good analysis on this game. No place for that in this podcast, Steven. Never again.
1: That's all the right. beauty of the Bengals. You don't have to like come up with bits to, to make fun of them. They're like naturally not good to mm-hmm. him. <laughs> all right.
2: Last one we've got is Lions versus Packers, which is the Monday night game uh, at 8 p.m. So you're all going to be watching anyway, which means I win by default. But Sometimes games are styled as, like, the best offense against the best defense. Sometimes it's like, you know, Chiefs-Bucks. It's like the uh, the, the new age, the new quarterback against the, the old guard and the old top quarterback. Lions-Packers is the man who wants to win a football game the most in the NFL and Dan Campbell against the man who just doesn't care at all about winning football games right now, which apparently is Aaron Rodgers because the game against the Saints was just tremendous chill vibes of quarterbacking just kind of oh, they one one-on-one I'll take a shot I'll just check this down see if he can go get it I might, might get picked off we'll throw it anyway just just Aaron Rodgers out here playing quarterback the 2021 Green Bay Packers
1: it was the most passive aggressive quarterback performance I've ever I've ever seen it was like and we're, an we're upset absolutely anthropomorphizing
2: the performance but it did feel a little bit just like whatever I'm here guess I have to play
1: yeah, it's a it's like a teenager who's so embarrassed of their parents and they're out to eat at a restaurant. That was that was right. Aaron Rodgers' vibe. Against
2: the something. Lions, who like walked out down by 24 against the Niners and were like, this is the most important thing. Like they were just amped up. Dan Campbell had those boys moving. So I think first I think the Lions cover. They're 11 and a half point dogs. But secondly, I think that it'll be close and like Campbell will be on the sideline like headbutting dudes. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, blood streaming down his forehead from headbutting Jason Cabinda in the face mask. Yeah, we're going to get amped up Dan Campbell, baby. Let's go.
3: I'm here for that.
2: And yes.
1: I, I really I, I need a buzzer it. sound. I, I'm,
3: I'm... Oh, you're not sold on that? I'm totally sold on that. I love Dan Campbell. He sold it in the
1: wrong way. The thing here is watching Jared Goff go up against the Jarrett Goff of defensive coordinators and Joe Barry. I feel like that matchup is going to be comedy. Like, Jarrett Goff is going to be doing bad things. Joe Barry is going to be doing dumb things. Kevin King's involved. Like, the Kevin potential Kings for comedy is, is through the roof here on that side <laughs> of the ball. The other side of the ball, like, I, I don't care about. But, yeah, I want to see Goof play against Joe
2: Barry. Nah, I want to watch Rodgers throw it's his third pick of the game, turn him out floor on the sideline and go, that's what i'm watching for <laughs> that'll do it for us on the friday preview show here on the ringer nfl show i'm benjamin solak that was Stephen ruiz that was caitlin jones getting you prepped for week two of nfl action we are back here every single friday but of course the ringer nfl show has a slate of uh shows as we wrap up the week two performances on sunday night that'll be with steven myself as well as kevin clark and Nora prinziati you get kevin on wednesdays Nora and mallory on thursdays you get ryan shazier and james shows on tuesdays and of course always with us at the end of the week. Thank you very much to you guys. Thank you so much to Isaiah Blakely, our production assistant, and Arjuna Ramgapal for overseeing our production assistant. Thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you same time, same place next week.